0: Hey ladies and gentlemen, this is Ewan Murphy, and that's spelled E-O-G-H-A-N. That's the original Irish way to spell Ewan Murphy. So, I'm a friend of T.Sucks, and I flew in from Dublin, just under the radar. Had to avoid the Garda over there, those fucking bastards. Anyways, this is the podcast episode, apparently, that everybody's been waiting for. The one on his great city, T.Sucks. Favourite place to be in the world, aside from Dublin maybe, and aside from maybe, uh, where's that place? Nova Scotia, that place we always talk about, T-Dots. What's it called? Meat Cove. Meat Cove. Meat Cove, right. So, ladies and gentlemen, T-Dot Sox loves Scarborough. Then he likes Dublin, then he likes Meat Cove, apparently. This is Ian Murphy, and I'm going to talk about, I'm just going to read what's put in front of me. And it is about the city of scarborough that is no longer the city of scarborough and is now a suburb called scarborough in the east side of the city of toronto it is the largest suburb in toronto hey guys this is t dot sucks i'm back um unfortunately our uh, irish friend had to leave us for a bit so and i think it's better i basically do this episode since it's uh, more technical. There's a lot of financial stuff in it. So if you guys are not into the whole finance stuff, maybe, uh, well, try and hang on. Um, So let me start with the history of how Scarborough um, went from being a city to a suburb in Toronto, in Ontario, Canada. So in 1998, the premier of Ontario. So Ontario is a province in Canada. A province is very similar to what in the United States would be a state. Um, And the premier is the head of the province, just like a governor, I guess, is the head of a state in America. So in 1998, the uh, premier of Ontario, Mike Harris, uh, I guess had who had been elected um, prior to that on what uh, his platform uh, was called uh, the Common Sense Revolution um, went by and he is part of or is or was the leader of the Provincial Party of the Progressive Conservatives, so what would be similar to, I guess, Republicans in the United States. Uh, were elected into power in Ontario, probably as a result of what was considered massive, you know, government and social overspending um, in the previous uh, group that was in power, the new Democratic Party, which was headed by Bob Ray. Um, So people were convinced that there was too much overspending, the government was too much in debt And so decided to always, as usual, switch to the polar opposite, which was Mike Harris's government. So his thing was government is spending too much money. We're going to cut government costs. And most of the people don't realize he was saying we must privatize much or a lot of those services that are currently uh, provided by the government to the people. If you privatize them, private management and ownership is much more efficient. Problem is, a lot of people don't realize or don't know about the downsides to privatization of services to the public that are funded by the public, is that yes, the services and the operating costs become very efficient, but the downside is that the efficiencies that are, uh, you know, brought on by those privatizing those groups or those organizations or those uh, service providers are not given back to the people in rebates or lesser, uh, you know, taxation. What happens is the owners of those private entities Reap the rewards of the profits, keep it for themselves, and then the management, etc., are getting paid big amounts. And people who earn large income, right? The groups of individuals that are in society that are high income earners are not putting back most of that income into the economy, local or otherwise, or even national wise what happens is they put them into savings accounts savings accounts are run by banks right those savings accounts are in banks so the banks profit by using the money in the savings accounts to lend or to invest in their own stuff right and then reap the rewards of that savings returns or many of these high income people put the money into their own businesses or their own corporations and if you're in an in an economy where the corporations are not being taxed at a high rate right then they're still reaping more rewards and keeping more of the profits themselves and putting into those savings accounts or sending the money out of the country by buying themselves a nice retirement villa in the Florida Keys, or Spain, or New Zealand, or they send the money to the private bank accounts in the Cayman Islands, or to private accounts in Switzerland, so that future generations of their own families have got a big nest egg. So tax dollars still are not returning to the people and the spending. Doesn't really change. It's never that the rate of taxation in a country has never gone down for the common man, usually. Not by a big enough amount where the common person is saying, Wow, I didn't realize. Now I'm, you know, out of my hundred bucks, I used to get twenty dollars taken out. Now I'm only getting ten bucks taken out. Now I have ninety bucks. Wow, that doesn't ever. Happen, or if it does, it's very, very rare. Where countries are actually putting that kind of process into actual uh, groundwork, real uh, policy are only in countries like Finland, Scandinavian countries, Sweden, Norway. No way, not so much. But Finland, um, I guess Sweden, Denmark, right? Countries like that are countries where most of the tax dollars is insured by the government to be placed back into the local economy where the locals benefit. And so the standard of living of the place becomes much higher. That's in socialist countries, right? We have in North America this aversion to the word socialism it's often you know equated to or considered on the same level as communism and it's like when people say hey you know what's going on with my money instead of you guys spending all my money my, the tax money that I give you on the military right and going to war somewhere else or on unnecessary programs or on Programs where there's so much levels of heavy, heavy administration that very little of my tax dollars actually hits the streets. How about you guys do this? They're immediately labeled socialists, And the socialist term carries this kind of anarchist label. Or, you know, oh, you're not, you're just an extremist. You're just one step closer to like burning down government. You're one of those, you know, hippies. You're smoking pot all day, right? Shut up, right? Because that's how the media basically portrays them, and most people fall for it. People are generally not educated. It's similar to the Black Panthers in the 70s. People were so scared of the Black Panthers, let's say, just after Vietnam War or around that time that the Black Panthers were considered this heavy militant group because they would come out, right? They had a kind of like a public image of those guys wearing black gloves, the berets, and they looked very tough, right? It's not a black guy's fault that he looks rough. He just looks rough. If you actually went and sat in a Black Panther movement meeting in those rooms in New York City, they never talked about protecting themselves against white supremacy or against racism much of what they spoke about was ensuring or making sure that the youngsters and the future generation of young people of color and young black people were to to follow or go as far as they could in formal education that's all they spoke about if you if you listen to tupac who was the son of a black panther activist much of what he says is Educate yourself as a black man. Educate yourself so you understand what's actually going on out there. And you can see things from a more, you know, a a perspective that's looking down upon. A more kind of, you get a better view of society as a whole from a higher perspective that can only be reached through higher education. That's what the Black Panther movement was predominantly about. Most people don't know that, even today. So a lot of how governments in North America operate is a lot of the way or the methodology is to ensure that the blue-collar voting masses, the guys who are predominantly responsible for the majority of the votes cast in any ballot, are not educated to the level that they should be. That ensures that the government's in power right now and the people in power who are holding all the wealth in terms of money, because money gives you political clout and clout over media, clout over everything that you are exposed to in terms of how you think you're receiving your information. Those people get to control everything. And so they keep you stupid. The only way out of that is not to think that your information is correct because it's coming from the media is to really understand and access information coming from other sources that can only be done if you get educated enough to find those other sources or to understand that though there are sources that you should be looking at or at least understand that the sources you're currently getting your information from are very very biased so anyways back to the uh, scarborough situation Sorry, I went a little crazy on the background there. So, 1998, Mike Harris took over, or he was the premier. And so, he decided to, as part of that saving money, um, you know, platform, that there were too many municipalities in Ontario. So, you know, too many towns, cities in Ontario. And so, therefore, administration costs from from the viewpoint of the, uh, you know, province were being wasted on having so many different municipalities, why not put them all, you know, amalgamate a lot of them so that there were less numbers of municipalities to administer and thus the cost would go down. So he said that a way to cut costs were to amalgamate those municipalities. So if he had said that, I would assume he had done his research. Part of the research... Uh, basically of saving costs, is to deal with finding out the costs of administering and the costs involved with those municipalities and then then comparing them to the costs after the municipalities were amalgamated. And then obviously the amalgamated ones should show that they would cost less, right? So I would assume he had done that. So Scarborough, for example, was one of the largest cities in in Ontario. Not as big as Toronto, maybe but still a larger city. And it was larger than the city of Toronto in terms of land area, right? Uh, maybe not population because it was uh, lower residential density of the the, the the city of Toronto and obviously not as rich in terms of, of the amount of money, you know, that was involved because Toronto was more of a center of industry and center of finance than Scarborough was. Scarborough is predominantly... Uh, industrial uh, uh, complexes with, you know, factories, things like, um, you know, basically packaging centers, a lot of uh, uh, basically um, truck and car automotive-related uh, services, things like that. So more blue-collar workers and, uh, you know, regular single-family residential uh, 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 you know, suburb type um, setup with little smaller uh, areas or just little pockets of medium residential or high high density residential um, things like condo apartment buildings, right? So that was how Scarborough operated, but they had their own city council, their own mayor, and uh, were fine in terms of how they. Spent their money. People were were given all the services they needed. At that time, the Toronto Transit Commission, which is basically owned by the city of Toronto, was in Scarborough, right, and providing bus services, etc., on a user fee basis. So, how Scarborough contributed to that is that they paid their money to get onto the train, and so the Toronto Transit Commission that operated, uh, that was operated by, the TTC. Um, in Toronto, still benefited because people in Scarborough and the other suburbs paid their fees and so were fine with their uh, infrastructure. The police also were in Scarborough but were the Toronto Police Services. They had divisions in those suburbs. They were also operated by uh, the City of Toronto and uh, a portion of, I guess, the Scarborough uh, property taxes may have been allocated to Um, you know, the City of Toronto Police Services, so basically a portion of the taxes uh, raised by the taxpayers who own properties in Scarborough but wanted to be policed or were policed by the Toronto Police was given to the Toronto City Council as part of uh, an agreement. I'm going to assume, but I don't know. So... Scarborough was actually opposed to being amalgamated into a bigger city should that take place. However, as, as as were most of other larger places that felt like, hey, hey, you know, we could lose a lot of what we have or maybe our money won't come back to us, right, our areas if we're, you know, made to join another place that's bigger than us, that's next door to us. But Mike Harris didn't care. He used a very, very kind of uh, lesser known or a, a, a bill, a, port, a you know, a, a law or piece of legislation that was um, in Ontario legislation that had never been used before, called Bill Twenty Six, which is a bill that allowed the province to amend, revoke, or introduce municipal acts, so that economic efficiency was maintained through this method of public sector streamlining and, and restructuring. The reason that Bill 26 was hardly used is because it's a provincial bill that, that is basically overriding municipal uh, decisions. It's a provincial bill that can basically allow the province to interfere with a municipality, which also have their own kind of uh, bylaws and legislation. So usually that bill was never used. That province was able to introduce Municipal Act 123, for example, which was a municipal act for the City of Toronto, which made City of Toronto a Tier 1 city. That Municipal Act basically made the City of Toronto a Tier 1 city. They used that bill to introduce then the Scarborough, let's say, City Act, which made Scarborough a Tier 2 city. All right? So basically he made... The municipalities, using Bill 26, introduce municipal acts, you know, 123, for example, in the city of Toronto, another municipal act, maybe 121 or whatever it was in the city of Scarborough, whatever, Scarborough Municipal Act, stating that Scarborough is now registered as a tier two city or forcing the cities or municipalities to determine by themselves using their accounting procedures or whatever it is that was required by the province to state what tier they fell under. So probably more than likely, it was the amount of um, income generated by the city or the whatever it was, tier two was where Scarborough fell under. So as a result, then he said, okay, so now all tier twos and threes In such and such an area must fall under the tier one city and be amalgamated. So in Toronto, um, Scarborough, Etobicoke, East York, North York were the surrounding cities were all forced to become suburbs and lose their city designation and become suburbs of the city of Toronto. So here's the thing. Mike Harris stated that the lower tiered cities obviously are not producing as much money. So he must have done some calculations on costs that were going to happen after, cost savings that were going to happen after, right, would be higher than the cost of administrating before. It was proven in about three or four years after these amalgamations occurred right? So in 1998, Scarborough became a suburb of of Toronto. It was shown by people two or three years after this whole thing had completed that the cost savings were not materializing. And in many places, the costs that taxpayers were paying had gone up. So they were basically either paying more for the services they were receiving, right? Or they were receiving less services For the taxes that they were paying after being amalgamated, than prior, right? So, people the people who were saying, Hey, what's going on? were basically people who were just being sensible. But obviously, since they were criticizing the Mike Harris government and Mike Harris followers or conservatives who were now. Basically, happy that the conservative government had taken place, uh, mostly very polarized, very extreme, and uh, just pretty dumb. So, they just blind followers. They said, Hey, okay, they couldn't deny the figures, but they just said, Okay, well, Mike Harris wouldn't, you know, didn't expect this had happened. Sometimes these things occur, but who cares? It's done. Well, I care, and people should care because he had said that there would be savings afterwards. Those savings didn't take place. So I want to know, how did he arrive at the conclusion prior to amalgamating or forcing people to amalgamate that the savings would take place? Let's see. Obviously, no one called him out on that, but he didn't provide it. I'll tell you why those things were a complete lie he just made up the shit it's one simple reason because mike harris is a liar and a thief and a piece of shit right you want proof simple looking back mike harris has sold the 407 etr the world's first electronic toll route highway that was completed in i don't know around the time Mike Harris was in power paid for by taxpayers it's a machine it's 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 basically an entity that generates so much profits insane amounts of profit now it is owned by a conglomerate somewhere else and is leased basically a leased ownership so they own it and are reaping the rewards of a crazy amount of profit huge and we Basically, if Ontario kept the 407, which we owned and built, we would be so much better off in terms of the amount of money that we're generating. We would have a much better stand in terms financially. We would have much better clout when it comes to asking for federal money to be allocated to our province because the federal government also sits down with provinces and bangs out negotiations on how much money each province gets based on certain things. The, mu- the provinces that have clout and have a bigger, louder voice are the ones that are richer. So right now, Alberta gets to say a lot about what they want in terms of federal transfer payments to Alberta. Ontario doesn't get so much. The quieter provinces, like, for example, in the east, Newfoundland, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, PEI, they all lose out in terms of how much money they're receiving in federal transfer payments. So, help from the federal government, which is basically help from a collective of taxpayers throughout the country, they get a much lesser portion than British Columbia, Quebec, Ontario, and Alberta, who are the big dogs. And if you notice, the ones that are always bitching and complaining about shit are the ones that always get the most, right? Those provinces, the ones who quiet and just go about their business, hardworking people, good Canadians, they're always getting shafted. People in Nova Scotia, people in Newfoundland, people in New Brunswick, people in Prince Edward Island, people in Saskatchewan, people in Manitoba. Right? The good people of Canada, the unspoiled, hardworking people. Next thing Mike Harris did, which basically is my proof that he is a lying, cheating, thieving piece of shit, is the way in which he privatized long term care facilities in Ontario. Basically, he stated that long term care facilities, so seniors' homes, that were owned and run by the government of Ontario, were Losing money over places where there was so much leakage of taxpayer money and inefficient use of tax money should be privatized. So he sold a lot of the stock of long term care facilities, buildings, real estate or real property that was owned by the province. He sold or leased or whatever it is to private corporations. Many of the long-term care facilities that Canadians know about, they're chains owned by groups of, by corporations in Canada that have a whole bunch of long-term care facilities throughout Canada. People in Canada don't even know that those corporations are subsidiaries of American corporations. They don't know that because they're dumb. They should look into that. So he sold off or de-governmentized those long-term care facilities, sold them to private hands, saying that there was too much leakage. So what the private people did was immediately drop the wage rate earned by the non-professional designation holding employees in those long-term care facilities. So people like personal support workers, Uh, guys who were doing the maintenance, all the non-professionals. So if you were not an RPN, an RN, or a nurse practitioner, or a manager or upper-level executive in in that particular long-term care facility building, for example, if you're not one of those people, the other people were dropped to minimum wage because they were no longer government employees because it was no longer a government-owned business. So a guy who was a PSW who was earning, let's say, $16 an hour at that time was dropped to the minimum wage. Okay, fine. So you just ensured that a guy who spent much of his money in Toronto or in Canada or in Ontario, because he's a low-wage earner, much of his wages is spent on rent and on buying goods and services here. You ensured that he had less money. So there was less money going into the economy, into the cyclical flow of money in the economy. You ensured that he was now poorer. He lost his health care plan. He lost his pension plan. He lost, uh, you know, everything is probably kicked out of whatever union. You ensured that that happened. Then he ensured that basically that money that was saved as a result of it should have gone to what he said was those buildings are decrepit. They need of upkeep. They need of maintenance. A lot of them need to be, you know, completely refurbished. The equipment there is old. That's why we should sell it. It should have gone to that, yes, but it didn't. The executives just paid themselves higher amounts of money and those buildings fell into disrepair. So, because there was a charge for the retirement, for the seniors retired there, they're not staying there for free. They still have to pay money to the places, even when it was government owned. So, they were still paying, let's say, $1,000 a month to stay there. Because those places were falling apart, and yet the money was gone because the managers were getting paid more and obviously were putting it into a Cayman Islands account, the people who owned those places said, hey, you know, we're going to have to up the fee required for a senior to stay here monthly. Many of the seniors who were on fixed income, like pensions or on disability or on old age disability or were drawing from, uh, you know, a pension that was capped or were on whatever, old age security and had a a supplement like a GIS, a guaranteed income supplement to put them to a certain level, they could not afford to stay in those senior homes anymore. So guess what? The Ontario government had to provide them with a subsidy to ensure that they stayed there. So not only did the Ontario government lose all those properties, and supposedly now we don't have to worry about it, so tax dollars don't have to worry about funding those inefficient properties, they had to take more of the tax money and give it as a subsidy to the seniors to ensure that they could still remain in those buildings. Right? So basically, the loss was twofold, thanks to Mike Harris's bullshit. Even the 407, you think Mike Harris didn't benefit in some way from selling the 407 two years after it was built to a private conglomerate without even asking permission from the Ontario people? You you really think that Mike Harris has no benefit? Okay, then why today then is Mike Harris on the Board of Directors for Chartwell Retirement Homes in terms of the long-term care facility debacle? Why is he on the Board of Directors and earning $210,000 a year plus just to sit on the Board of Directors of a retirement home chain in Canada, in Ontario, called Chartwell Residence or Chartwell Retirement Homes? He's obviously getting a payback from those people that he sold it to his buddies. So by the same thinking, I'm sure he's getting money put into his Swiss bank account on a yearly basis from the guys who own the 407 or operate the 407 or benefit from the 407. Now, his private pals based out of Spain and Hong Kong or where the fuck they're based out of. Mike Harris is a piece of shit. This is why I know that Canada is not a real democracy because he still walks around free. And the people who are standing next to Mike Harris at this moment, listening to this podcast, if you really are standing next to him, if you're a man, you would turn around and clock him in the face or at least move away from him so you're not associated with such a piece of shit. If I ever see Mike Harris, I'll fucking knock him out. Because, uh, and then after that, I'll say, where the fuck is my money? Now, going back, okay, so I've showed you proof of why Mike Harris is a liar, the 407 ETR and his handling of the long-term care facilities and him getting paid as a result of that later on for his, uh, you know, basically misuse of his position as the Premier of Ontario. Here's why I state that he already must have known prior to amalgamating cities that he would be losing money. The main cost of operating uh, a city... The main cost of basically any kind of service provided by the government is in labor costs. So basically the salaries paid to the employees, the management, the administration of the uh, department that's run by or the the, the section that's run by the government or even a, a lot of like industries in private hands big costs or labor costs which is why most of big business that is able to move their labor to outsourced locations like India and China are profiting more um, are making more money because they've basically outsourced their stuff to cheaper labor costs so now when you amalgamate the cities The tier one cities, for example, like Toronto, the labor cost for each position was higher than the same position labor cost in the tier two cities. So, for example, a guy that was in charge of maintaining the sidewalks in Toronto was getting paid $18 an hour. A guy that was in charge of maintaining the sidewalks in Scarborough when it was a city was getting paid 14 an hour. If you now force Scarborough or make Scarborough join Toronto, the guy getting paid in Scarborough now is doing the same work as the guy who was getting paid in Toronto and must also be paid the same amount. Since all the city employees at the bottom levels and certain things like that, non-administrative levels, were all unionized by unions there's no way in hell that a union now which has automatically more members by the influx from the tier two city and therefore is even more powerful is going to agree to a drop in the amount of the salary earned by their employees because they earn the even the the labor union administration earns their money from union dues. So union dues suddenly, the 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 coffers of the union admin go up because of the new members. They're richer. So there's no way in hell they will agree to, or even even negotiate at the table where the government says, "Hey, we want to lower the Toronto." labor guys or we want to lower the labor dollar per hour charge that we're paying the guy who fixes the payment to 16 an hour because the Scarborough guy was doing it for 16 an hour the Toronto guy was doing it for 18 they'll say fuck you then how about okay we find a middle level yeah fuck you so they already knew that the labor harmonization the wage the labor wage harmonization that was going to take place after amalgamating the cities would result in huge costs to be borne by the individual city taxpayer the property tax owners or the taxpayers of those cities would actually end up having to pay more for the same amount of services or would have to be okay with a reduction in the level of service or service quality they were receiving because more of their money would be spent on the salaries of the person delivering the services. That would have been one of the major cost calculations involved in an analysis of whether or not it would be more efficient or it would be more cost-effective prior to amalgamation or after amalgamation. So Mike Harris either lied and said it would be better and so went ahead and did it, or Mike Harris employed a guy to do those financial calculations who was an English major and taught history in an elementary school to do those calculations. One or the other. Either way, it's still Mike Harris's responsibility and it's still on Mike Harris. Because if you hire a fuck up who can't even do a simple math equation, or if you lied yourself, you're still the guy who's responsible. So you still shouldn't be fucking walking around, should you? So, in summary, there's no way unbiased economists and accountants had they been asked to determine the viability of amalgamation by the province would have said it was worth it. Many studies conducted in the years after the amalgamation have clearly shown that even conducting a half-reasonable study beforehand would have shown it wasn't a worthwhile endeavor. So, why hasn't he been asked to provide a reason after it became so apparent? Why wasn't he asked to show the research he used to make the decision to go on his amalgamation spree publicly available? Why hasn't he been asked these questions? Mike Harris is employed by the taxpayers. He has to answer to the taxpayers. There is no way that I go and do a job, right? And I get paid by a manager. When the manager asks me, why did you do this? I am just like, "Mm, I got to go to the washroom and take a piss. Then I come out. Hey, why did you do this? Hey, you know what? I don't think I'll work today. I'm taking the day off. Hey, can I talk to you? Oh, no, sorry. I'm off the clock. What is wrong with taxpayers in Ontario? What is wrong with taxpayers in general in Canada? I'll tell you. They're all only interested in, basically, themselves. And when they even know that the guy they voted for has fucked up, they refuse to even stop backing him or agree to it because that means their enemies, the liberals, the guys on the other side of the fence who are voting for the other guy, show that... That that's, They just can't even admit to acknowledging a fault of their own guy, even though doing so is for the betterment of everyone, including themselves. Then on top of this, after Harrison says, okay, it'll make it more efficient as a province, right? He downloads, in his second term in office, social housing and provincial road administration to municipalities. And that significantly ins- increased the cost borne by municipality taxpayers. In other words, people living in those cities who were contributing their portion of the taxes to the cities. So most of the taxes, for example, in, in a city of Toronto that they, that they receive is, is coming through property tax p- as property taxes or, or, or owners of homes and condominiums that pay property tax that money is coming into the city, right? So they are now, in the second term of Harris, having to suffer more, including the people in Toronto, regardless of the people, whether they're in Scarborough or Toronto, Toronto city people have to bear more costs because he downloaded social housing and provincial road administration covered by the province to the municipalities. In addition, he completely reformed and implemented the property assessment system using to using used to value properties, used to charge and collect the tax income. So the MPAC system, as it's called, the Municipal Property Assessment Corporation, is a corporation that goes around and provides the individual homeowner with a value, a a, a provincial assessed value of his property in order to charge a property tax yearly that the city collects. Why would he do that? Why would he implement it halfway during the year for some reason, right? Because in my opinion, it makes it impossible for anyone to know how to accurately calculate the effects, right, of amalgamation because now the amount of money coming in has changed because he's revamped the impact system in the middle of the year as opposed to the end of the year. So in the middle of the year, he made changes that changed the toll due. So, so they, they're each or, or what's known as a roll rate, right? So a roll rate is a percentage rate charged by each individual municipality against the value of the property in order to co- co- to collect the taxes. So by changing those roll rates in the middle of the year, you lose any kind of accounting Advantage or accounting method for you to make an accurate comparison to the year before. Why would you do it in the middle of the year? It's obviously to confuse people so that you can cover your tracks. Another indicator that, you know, goes towards my very scientific, uh, you know, conclusion or scientific summary of Mike Harris. That he's a lying, thieving piece of shit. So basically, Mike Harris generally was elected on his common-sense revolution to cut costs and cut the debt and cut the deficit of Ontario. How he cut it was selling assets that belonged to Ontario, like the 407 that were paid for by previous terms. Selling the 407, selling the real property and the the, the actual housing stock or the, the, the stock of long-term care facilities to those private places. The money brought in by that, he used to balance his budget and say this is income received that shows or or, or costs have been cut because, look, our deficit is less. Aren't you guys proud of me? Right? He basically sold all your fucking furniture, right? And said, look, we don't owe as much money and he put it into your bank account. Meanwhile, you're sitting on the fucking floor having dinner with no table. Right, your plate's on the goddamn floor, and you think you're fucking you think Mike Harris is great. In addition to, to basically lower the deficit, he sold the 407, sold the long term care uh, buildings, right? And then he cut money in areas like social services and housing, welfare, ODSP, right? and other services aimed at low-income earners and groups with less political, powerful voices that could stand up to him, in addition to downloading the Social Housing and Provincial Road Administration to the municipalities. So, of course, the province had better books and were less in the red than the prior administration, and it looked that way, so everybody was like, Yay, Mike Harris, right? <sighs> Fucking idiots. So this is the end of part one of probably what may amount to a three-part episode um, uh, podcast. Um, So this is basically a recap of the background behind what led to the amalgamation of Scarborough. I guess part two will be more uh, about what... Uh, Scarborough lost as a result of the amalgamation. And if I can fit it in, or it may become a new Part 3, I will explain how Scarborough actually, if they were to de-amalgamate, would be better off financially. Uh, And the taxpayers living in Scarborough would receive more services for the money they currently spend. Would receive a property tax break uh, As a result of de-amalgamation And I'll show that With links to all the financial calculations uh, That people are just unaware of They're unaware of all the money That they're losing And all the actual ability to self-govern That they've lost as a result of this Amalgamation And I'll show how the current Mayor Especially Is part of the reason That Scarborough is suffering Whereas a mayor like You know um, Rob Ford Was trying his best To help the people Of Scarborough As well as the other Suburbs that were getting shafted In this because he Saw everything and knew everything that was happening in the city prior to becoming the mayor. And also, I'll probably include a blurb about Rob Ford and how people in Toronto have, who hate Rob Ford, hate him for their own selfish reasons. And how in the end, they're going to suffer, anyways, as a result of their attitudes towards people in the past and present who have tried to help everyone in the city of Toronto and worked actually for the city of Toronto and taxpayers and not themselves, how people are just insane, stupid, or just so into themselves that they're so blind about what goes on in the city. You have to be a complete idiot to actually support a fool and a thief in my opinion, or somebody's working in his own self-interest and the interests of a very few rich people, as the current mayor, John Tory, is in the city of Toronto. So stay tuned. Thank you, people.